Hi, and episode, welcome to episode 27 of Beerfest Brewers Roundtables. It was a really fun chat that we had. Um, we had our first French brewery, Art is an Ale, from the Loire Valley. We also had um, Crafty Bear from Dublin, and we had Fredo Fox from Barcelona. Um, it was a fun chat, as I said. Um, really interesting. Um, the we, we had to cover quite a lot of stuff, um, including the, the different markets, which are fascinating. The French market is something in particular I didn't know. Um, and it's interesting to see how they're reacting, obviously being a wine country, but also a very foodie country. And we brought into that, you know, um, the, the food in Barcelona. We brought into it um, untapped, of course, again, you know, cans versus bottles, um, a whole whole range of stuff. And like I said, in a very enjoyable way, I think I think it's one you're going to enjoy. Um, so, of course, if you'd rather watch the video, all the replays are up on Bjorfest.com. And while you're there, you can register for all our future events, which are some really interesting ones coming up. I think you're, you're well worth checking out. It's all free, and um, hopefully we'll see you at some of the events live. Um, in the meantime, let's talk beer. from Artisan Ale in France um, and we have Phil from Crafty Bear and I think I just saw Robin from Fredo Fox just coming in so he'll probably join us in just a second and we'll just wait yeah so we'll wait for him to join us so um yeah so that's the the plan today we're just going to have a chat with about beer about brewing no real team just let's see everybody's experiences of beer brewing what they've what they've brewed what beers and everybody's kind of exchanged some beers as usual, so we've all had a chance to kind of test out each other's beers and that. So, um, Matt, you're actually the first French brewer to join us. We've had people from everywhere else, but you're the first one from France, so maybe we well, should start. <laughs> thank you. Well, thanks for having me. Um, we are a French brewery. We are located in the uh, Loire Valley, so a couple of hours south of Paris. We are a French-American brewery. Um, I'm the French part of the equation. My wife is the American uh, part. And we came back from the US in 2018 and we started the brewery in 2019, um, growing within our region um, organically despite a couple of uh, stop and go from COVID-1 and COVID-2 that really froze the country uh, uh, several times. And uh, the outlook is good. The um, process that we try to implement, the beer that we are bringing to the market is uh, well received. And uh, it's a true honor to be with you guys today to just talk about beer. Right. Well, um, yeah, so like, so you started 2019, you said? Yes, correct. Yeah. We opened the brew pub back in 2019. We are in a somewhat very small city um, compared to the production capacity that we have but we decided to uh, really implement the brewery in a part of France that's highly touristic and uh, the city that we are in actually has uh, several uh, royal castles and that give us a continuous flu flux of a, of a tourist including American tourists and tourism uh, coming from culture which uh, appreciate beer a bit more than the traditional and average French tourist. Right, yeah, that's what I was going to ask, is just like France and what, what, what the beer scene there is. It's obviously wine, the majority. Yes. But is... Well, the, it's a good question. We, we often uh, uh, refer to the French scene as 
very much like the uh, wine American scene. The French scene still, and not everybody, of course, but the, the mass market here still see the beer in color. Uh, it's quite frequent, uh, actually, on a daily basis. We have people walking through the brew pub just asking us for a blonde beer or a red beer or, or, or a stout or a, a, a brune, which is like a stout-style beer. Um, and over the last few months, couple of years, people have started opening a little bit their vocabulary and now they know what an IPA is like. So the, the French um, uh, market is very, very far behind uh, and it's somewhat uh, interesting to come from the US and try to uh, um, somewhat adjust our, our speed to the French market while trying to pull upward the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the customers. Right. Um, yeah, because I think just talking to other people who've come from, you know, wine sort of areas that they did seem to suggest the same thing that people are, you know, very set styles, I suppose, like you say, color. It, it's almost, yes. you know, it's this type of beer and there is only that, that one type that is that yeah, color. Correct. But, but that once you got them onto trying beer, that, that was the big step. But once they were onto trying more beers, they were willing to, to try everything. Yes, absolutely. And, and, uh, and we're actually seeing that in our product strategy that we have because the uh, response that we had for a blonde beer was actually a beer from the uh, cream ale category. And that beer is actually quite good to start converting industrial beer drinker toward craft beer without having too much bitterness, without having too much hop flavor. And now people are asking us to have a a step between our cream ale and our, and our IPA. So we recently uh, added a, an American pale ale to our product line. Okay, sorry, just notice Robin is here. Um, yeah, so we have so we have yeah. the full conten- contingent on now at the moment. Um, so yeah, so Robin, uh, Matt was just telling us about the, the scene in France and how it's kind of, I know, not conservative, I guess, isn't really the word, but um, you know, maybe just hasn't tried a lot of the beers yet and it, it's still just kind of opening up yes but you actually have i mean you can tell us like i mean you, you sent over quite a wide range so you're brewing like are you brewing those for yourself are you brewing it that you think the market will will try this or is it just you, you have a small enough volume you're going to give it a chance or yeah so it's a little bit of of all you're right i mean i um uh, i i appreciate the uh permanent product line that we have our chromatic our iridescent our Pastel, our, our stout, are actually good beer. Um, and we know that this beer can actually sell on the market. Um, but we get somewhat um, challenged by brewing more geeky beer. We like to have beer that are a little bit more um, in tune with what's happening worldwide. Um, and so on seasonal beer, we are able actually to do um, 10 hectoliters or 20 hectoliters of beer. Uh, of a seasonal beer that will be brewed once and then we can uh, just sell that throughout the market not to the same audience we have a couple of access to a more niche market and it will take us four to six months for some beer or one to two months for other beer Um, and we are able to uh, to to do roughly 10 to 15 seasonal beer a year um, just just addressing all of you was like are you what's your market during COVID? Like, is it obviously hospitality didn't really exist? Um, so how did you, did you have to change the thing? You you said you had a brew pub and I think Robin, you have a brew pub as well, do you? Um, 
No. Oh, okay. We've got a, we've got a tasting. Okay. Yeah. No, yeah, it was just a production was uh, affected. But yeah, no bar uh, and no taste room. What, what we did um, as part of the change of ownership of this brewery um, about a year, a year ago was create um, a kind of showroom stroke shop. It's kind of the best we can do with our, with our permit here in, uh, in this particular part of town. So, yeah, COVID really, really unaffected production for us. And do you, do you kind of, what's your market? Is it like for all of you, I suppose? Uh, maybe Phil, you come in, like, is your market very local? Have you, is it yeah. exporting? Where Quite local for me, definitely. Like, we're based in Dublin, so Dublin City itself, clearing that area a little bit, definitely, of where we're, I suppose, trying to expand <clears throat> and then a tiny bit uh i suppose export now is 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 the way forward uh due to the, the recent covid events there was a lot of beer leaving the country rather than actually being drank in the country because as you know yourself the bars and pubs were were shut down what do you export the most i've only just started a very small amounts um okay. cans yeah uh cans only i kind of i moved i was doing a little bit of kegging before uh, covid yeah because uh, bars that I was in were bottles and cans only, which was good, you know, it's a, a better margin. But then naturally all the doors closed, so I stopped doing kegs completely and just stopped doing glass and just moved straight to cans. It was lighter and cheaper. Yeah. And we've we've only just started the keg again now. Okay. And you Matt, are you like you have your, your brew pub, are you selling to other pubs or is it just within your own? Now, yeah, we, we um, actually have a, a distributor, a regional distributor um, that um, pretty much buys, uh, I would say, 60% of our production. We were right around a thousand hectoliters last year. Um, and um, our, our regional distributor uh, buys our bottle and keg beer, and they move that um, in the region that we that we are in and um, roughly a third of our production is sold directly through the brew pub yeah okay but 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 we have a also a different um, we also do contract brews so we have a couple of partners that just have an idea of a beer but they want to have their own labels and so with the production capacity we are not quite at maximum production capacity so we welcome really any business so far to help other brand grow um, so, so that's how we try to to really uh, fill the gap that that uh, and try to push a little bit more the uh, equipment we have. So, what what is your capacity? Well, um, we can brew currently um, two thousand four hundred hectoliters a year, um, but uh, we also purchase some more vessels, <laughs> surprisingly or not. Uh, but our brew house is uh, American. We have a, a brew house from a. a company in North, uh, in North Carolina, but the price of freight has multiplied by over 20 over the last two years that our fermenters have been ready for a year and a half now, but we just can pull the trigger because cost was supposed to be 2.5 grand and it's now 17 grand. So we can justify bringing the new vessel to the brewery. So, so yeah, <laughs> difficult yeah, time. I don't think it's going to get any cheaper by looking at things. Yeah, yeah. Well, it doesn't have to cross Europe, so I hope that uh, yeah, that would the... might open up. But still, yeah. you're right. Uh, yeah, fuel costs are just going through the roof. Yeah, obviously for for obvious reasons. But um, I suppose we won't yeah. do anything into that. So yeah, it's, I mean, you you were you visited Robin during last week, was it? 
Yes, correct. Yeah, we um, we it was a, a purely business trip. Absolutely, uh, it was our 15 uh, year anniversary with Kelly, and so we needed a, a getaway. So we 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 uh, instead of shipping the beer to Robin, we decided to drive the beer, <laughs> and also uh, make time to uh, catch up with Robin and have a, a couple of tasting. We we tested a fantastic beer from uh, Fredo Fox, and uh, we just you know got to to get to know a little bit one another. So so yeah, that was a uh, that was nice to to be there last week. Right, yeah, that's good. Yeah, so when I, when I, I apologize for coming in a little bit late, but I could hear you know right when I did jump in that um, you were talking about some of the issues that we kind of had. A, we're talking about um, when we met uh, a few days ago, actually. So you know about the, the different the different scenes and how they yeah. have evolved. So that was one of the one of the big things we talked about while, while Matt and Katie were here. So yeah, that was yeah, just yeah. a bit of a practice run for today. Yeah. So tell us, what are the scenes? What's the scene in Barcelona? Well, that's um, yeah. I guess to simplify things, it sounded from talking to Matt like uh, his market was behind the Barcelona market and how it's evolved. Because, um, yeah, we talked about the styles, we talked about the styles we were able to brew if you're brewing for, for others and not your own pleasure, is what we have to do when we've invested in equipment and we're brewing on a certain scale, uh, you, you do have to think about other people's enjoyment of yeah. the beer when you, when you brew it, it um, I, I believe anyway. Yeah. Um, so here, uh, just in terms of the craft beer scene, it's refreshing to see we're just starting to get away from complete, complete domination on taps or in terms of people's understanding of what IPA has been dominated by the hazies and, and, and the New England um, style, which is pretty pretty dominant in Barcelona. Um, sometimes the frustration for the people that actually brew them because they, they can get, you know, I know from speaking to some other brewers on the scene, they're, 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 you know, they really love to get the opportunity to brew some more classic beer styles. And it's nice to see people uh, some of the drinkers in in the town, at least, that are now seek, seeking those out and it, enabling us to include uh, some more classic styles in our in our production plans. You know, so um, it was great here at Fredo, for example, where we spent, you know, really the first nine months of Fredo's life, kind of plowing two furrows, um, fruited, really quite heavy fruited uh, sours, and then yeah, the the New England uh, style. Um, IPA, uh, whether that was a session strength or up to a, a double IPA level. And so it's been nice to get the chance to, to go back to the recipes that kind of inherited from the previous brewery, that uh, brand that kind of occupied this building and through some uh, West Coast, a couple of West Coast. Right. So how long, are, sorry, just, just to get my, my picture clear there. So there was a brewery there and you took it over. Oh, you're gone as well, which I never expected to brew the first 15 months of life of uh, of Fredo Fox. So that's kind of in terms of our response to it. Uh, Much sooner being able to brew some classic styles because like, yeah, the first nine months, two two furrows, big hazies and and, and the fruited sours, which are fun in themselves. You know, it's good to kind of try to tweak and work them out. And, you know, there are enough variables to play with, even in those two styles to... um, to have, to have fun, you know, tweaking recipes and, and trying different combinations of hops and so on and all the other variables that we get to work with. But, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much where we're at, I think, in Barcelona. It, it was surprising, uh, Robin. I, I, uh, I have many uh, good memories of, of, our, of our 
meeting last week, but there is something that you said that resonated so strongly and that I could not forget. And, and I was chewing on it days and days and days until now, which was when, when, you, when, when we opened the uh, bottle of milkshake IPA, you, you said something which resonated truly, which was it's kind of weird to open this beer style from a bottle because you guys have been canning for, for, for a long time. And, and, and you are absolutely right that, that to me, I, I kind of have that behind the scene feeling or in the back of my head, I was, that's not right. But I never could articulate it. And when you said it, I kind of had this ha-ha light bulb moment. And that was, that was so true. And I was like, when can we? And, and we've, we've been talking to canning supplier, including your canning supplier as well, Fernando. Um, uh, and, and we were like, when can the French market be ready for a brewery our size, a regional brewery, to do this type of, of, of product in a can? And not only for the geek market, not only for the market that is really up and up, but for the mass market. And I hope it's going to be soon because I, I, I would like for our brewery to go there. And actually, when we uh, arrived in 2018 in France, the first meeting we had was with uh, the distributor that we have. And we came sure and confident. We were like, we are going to be canning. And they were like, no, don't, don't can, don't can. For the market that you are targeting, if you can, you will never push any product because canning for the French mass market, which we still target for the most part, it, it, it's a no-go. It's not a sign of quality. Cheap. So, yeah, it looks cheap. Yeah, it, it's the homeless people beer style, right? So, <laughs> so, so I, I was able through the 15 years that I was in the U.S. to, to really see that come and go, that, that idea, and, and it became very niche. And, and now we start seeing it in France. We have most of the big brewery in France, the most popular, that fulfill exclusively to the, to the geek market that are cutting. And, and, and we just hope that the rest of the market, the non-geek market, the non-geek customer will, will actually get there too because we are ready for it. Yeah, I think it's, it's like new enough in Ireland as well. I mean, it may, okay, it's obviously further down. Still, really, only about what two years where canning has really become accepted. Yeah, two three years. I found it actually hard to convert over. I'm actually a fan of uh, the glass bottle. I was, kind of, I was bottling originally the IPA in windmill bottles, and I loved them. I always kind of felt that the the beer sat better in the bottle, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, friends and family said the same thing, and I was slowly kind of pushed <laughs> to move to can because a lot of bars and restaurants. Um, adapted in a sense i suppose like fridge space cost they start moving towards cans because their customer and their clientele base weren't so scared about having a meal a can being put on whereas i know that's probably seen in certain restaurants that would be for yeah. just yeah. suit the atmosphere or the clientele now it's kind of yeah it's it's the last three years i've seen a lot of breweries move solely just to cans and, and, and me included as one of them mm. yeah I, I don't know i mean you can correct me but i think there's been a lot of it as well that it mainly people understand because of the IPAs, the hops and that. If you're going to drink yeah. a fresh, a can is, is fine. But if you want to leave it aged, then the bottles are where you, you go. Forward, yeah. mm -hmm. that, that, the can actually gives you a better drink if you're going to have something fresh. But I, I'll be honest with you, my, my thing, I find with cans and that. But if I was going to a restaurant, I would still like to have the bottle on the table. <laughs> I don't know. It's like said, it doesn't, for me, it doesn't quite sit quite right there just yet. But yeah, actually... It's definitely yeah. a, an aesthetic aspect to it. Um, 
Matt was talking about earlier on was um, sensation that I had when, uh, as Edge, we brewed um, you know, the previous brand here was uh, Edge Brewing. The first time we did a New England IPA, and we only had a bottling machine. And the weird feeling that I got when I poured this heavy haze beer from a bottle <laughs> into my glass, because I then, you know, by that point, I got I got used to the hazy stuff coming out of cans. At a similar time, I'd, more or less the same time, I'd been handed a can of bourbon barrel aged uh, Imperial Stout, which was equally weird pouring being poured out from a can. I guess from a brewery that only had a canning line. Yeah, uh, and that was like just aesthetically was a weird thing. So, um, yeah. and then the one of the one things I liked about um, when Marcus came to on, to the brewery and, and set up Fredo Fox was he chose the slimline version. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, which is uh, I was like, well, okay, yeah, yeah, maybe this could you know restaurants, cafes, and gourmet gourmet eateries are yeah. like part of our market or our potential market. And I was like, well. Having seen kind of like canned water and Schweppes and all that stuff in, in these kind of cans, which are a little bit wider than I thought, maybe maybe I can see these on 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 tables, you know, as well. So, uh, but we'll, yeah. we'll see. It's um, yeah, I because about that, and I was that was one of my one of my questions as to the reason. Just for case anybody doesn't know, that's the the type of can. It's it's a thirty three cl can, but it's. Sorry, I'm going to use this is what I would consider the, your normal 33. We've had, some, we've had some pushback on the format, um, it, you know, by customers who are, are used to the other two the two form, formats, the, the, the 33 that you've just shown and the 44. Mm. And, you know, it's like it fits somewhere in the middle, you know, but it's still it's still the 33, but they're like, yeah. you know, am I, being, I mean, am I being conned here? You know, they're trying <laughs> to pretend to be a 44. You know, yeah, uh, we've had a you know a couple of a couple of comments push back on it. You know, it's not working as well as the other two formats, but um, that's in some kind of pockets, if you like. Uh, and is it harder to get the cans? Because I, I have seen them, but like you said, only on things like you know, kind of soft drinks and that. I've never yeah. seen it. I've never seen a beer in that can. Yeah, about nearly a year, nearly a year ago, I heard it described as the candemic, which is quite humorous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> quite humorous. yeah we did suffer um, a supply shortage. Uh, 11 months from now which is quite frustrating because we just you know we were a new brand there was a launch there was a sense of excitement people on the team were kind of already known and so we got the first the first round of beers out and obviously the second round of beers are in the tank ready to go for the cans to arrive and guess what they didn't arrive so that's the, hate of the pandemic from our experience but I, i'm not the i'm not the buyer on the team of the of the cans but i've heard that there were times maybe it was harder to get some of the other formats and maybe we'd, we'd, we'd chosen well in that respect. But as I say, I'm not totally on top of the ups and downs of supplies of, uh, of cans, to be honest with you. One of my colleagues has been in the line of, of uh, those issues. No, but you know, for, for, for a brand, from a brand recognition standpoint, I, I think the, the size can that you have is so unique and so recognizable that you might actually get a lot of recognition from your customers and returning customers just because it's different looking and and to the only other time i've seen these cans were in the us uh for the hard seltzer which is not so big yet in in europe so so if i had to associate this can size now with a beer it would only be yours with the black um, top portion of the can on a white can you are sitting i think the, the the person in charge of the branding is doing a fantastic job to really yeah. um 
I'll pass um, that on because I suspect he's not listening. I think he's on okay. <laughs> no, but, but yeah, no, it, it, it's yeah, actually. Uh, I think it's, it also gives you more space for just for your your artwork. It kind of stands out, you know, even though maybe technically it doesn't, but somehow it does. You you seem to have more space for the artwork. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's one of the reasons why part of the reasons why cans have succeeded with uh, with beer drink, new beer drink, just that landscape opportunity um, compared to. You know the bottle labels. You know all the different configurations. You know, um, you know the two label options and the label yeah. on the front, label on the back, and it's like yeah, you're fighting for space. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I've had some cans, and to be honest, yeah, like from various breweries, and I, I felt guilty throwing them out at the end of the day because some of them are are pure artwork. And so yeah, just to make sorry, I'm going to just stay on you there for a second, Robin, because you said that you you know your fruited sours. But they were something you started with you're kind of moving away from but um the one you sent on there i don't know what the other thought like that fruited goals uh, i thought was beautiful oh yeah i thought it was it had at least fruit i hadn't had in, in like that before you know the what was a pear and apricot yeah Re raspberry pear and apricot yeah it was uh, delicious yeah the uh the raspberry was the dominant um fruit and the pear and the apricot were in there kind of piece some body and um, yeah. And there's vanilla that just kind of eased it out a bit or something. I, I thought that was a really nice one. I could have drank that for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's just using the um, we use a, a really nice vanilla powder product, which kind of is uh, practically is very um, useful to use. Um, and yeah, you get quite quite good infusion. Um, uh, the flavors are really well, given how little you put in, given how expensive it is. Uh, I do. Uh, I get the feeling that we do get some. Um, you know, pretty good uh, infusion from it, and uh, and it just yeah, it's uh, it's the trick of rounding out the flavors, the fruit flavors with uh, with vanilla, which just adds that kind of perceptive uh, perception of sweetness. And with the idea of kind of doing um, appealing uh, kind of pastry like pastry like sours, really, and throwing quite big quantities uh, of uh, fruit puree and some fruit juice in, into the fermentation. And when you say pastry, is is that very popular up there, like that area? Like, because you had a pastry stout as well. Um, I think we've made the bigger kind of pastry sour, maybe a little bit popular in the, in the immediate area of Barcelona. Uh, we did a, a collaboration with uh, Southern Death, and as part of the interaction, you know, we talked about the dosing rate of of fruit, uh, and basically Oli got back and said, "Yeah, double it." And you know, so we ended up throwing literally, literally a ton of um, of fruit puree and juice, a kind of thirty-three percent um, proportions, and it was a big, it was a really big success in the kind of geekier craft beer drinking circles, uh, and it pretty much sold out straight away. So uh, the there is a an appreciation in the craft beers in the city for for fruited sours and sours in general, and in fact, quite a long-running appreciation for more sophisticated sours, the barrel sours. There's been a long-running appreciation for um, the like lambic lambic beer and uh, mixed fermentation and barrel, you know, other barrel sour beers from, uh, from that region of the world and also from the states more recently. So, yeah, depending on you know, whether you're talking about that nucleus of long-running uh, beer geeks, the circles that kind of d developed around them. Uh, I've heard stories from friends who own bars of people, you know, that they've never met before going in and asking for a fruited sour 
uh, straight off the bat, you know, local pitch. So uh, it has it has begun definitely, well and truly. In fact, one of um, Garage here describes one of their beers as a Barcelona vice, fruited fruited sour on the much lighter end because obviously the weather gets warm here. So, and that's what we'll be doing ourselves. We'll be perhaps taking down taking down the fruit additions in some some of our some of those brews and taking down the alcohol levels as well, so that imbibe a little bit more when the sun gets hot. Right. And, and speaking of which, uh, Robin, I, I realized that most of the beer. That, that you you sent and, and some of the one that I tasted and 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 uh, came back with are quite high in ABV or higher than I would see in the French market. I feel like most of them are actually the goes that um, Brian was talking about was at six percent ABV, but I think six seems to be the lowest you do when you go up to ten and more. Do you feel like the uh, the market that you that you are living in? Is asking you for big beer, or is it just a way for you to differentiate yourself with the rest of the market? Um, I think it was partly about being a, a, a new brand and making an impact. Yeah. You know, trying to make an impact in the first few months of the yeah. brewery's existence. Uh, I think it's also to do with the size of the can. Uh, possibly this might just be in my imagination, but I know from my own experience when I've kind of helped myself to cans from the fridge, and you know they've been on the lighter end. I've been like a little bit frustrated that the the can been emptied so quickly. Yes. Not too much of a problem for me because I just go. <laughs> but um, yeah, that, that might be a factor. And also, we do export quite a bit. Uh, quite export heavy. So, you know, I think perhaps you know, maybe importers favour favour the stronger end, maybe because better stability, maybe better stability. Yeah. yeah. Because all, all your beer, as strong as they can be, they are all extremely balanced. I've uh, and and including the imperial red that we got from uh, from crafty bear i i, I find um, no alcohol yes <laughs> no alcohol um, uh, hint it's really all working well together the uh, imperial stout that we had last week together uh, was was mesmerizing and and uh, i brought back a can for a friend who does a lot of research and development on on beer and he was just extremely impressed so 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 i abv with all this balance with is very uh, orgasmic in terms in terms of uh, t tasting <laughs> thank you yeah, just, well, I don't say. <laughs> <laughs> i'm flying by the seat of my pants to be honest with you but no um, don't say that <laughs> but yeah but but talking about the alcohol content so i i didn't actually take too much too much attention but now you mention it yeah they're, they're all reasonably i mean i'm not going to open it now i think but you had a like a, a triple ipa there at nine and a half percent i'm going to leave it for the afternoon until later <laughs> <laughs> but yeah even um like phil yours were all six percent or so yeah the the majority i i went a bit high i suppose last year with the red and the stout seven and a half eight percent i will do a 10 down the line but i kind of i was getting ahead of myself i suppose because i do like you know the, the stronger darker beers but I realized that only a, a small majority in Ireland um, and a certain time of the year as well. So like so October, November, December, you'll see people like my sales for the, the heavier beers will go up and my IPA will go down and vice versa. The summer. So then, yeah, I kind of start coming back down again. And then I found 6% and 45 to be the, the new norm coming out of the winter, moving yeah. into more kind of rider months. Yeah, because talking, uh, like, sorry, just having like these chats and that, I have noticed that there's some countries where like you know the really high ones like where 
you know, ten percent seems to be kind of the normal. Whereas in Ireland, it is there does seem to be more of a session. The thing like you, you, you have to make yeah. have a few beers over the night because if you have one, it's very, it's very seasonal in Ireland at the moment. The last couple of years, I always find that you know, in winter months, these are darker and higher ABVs. The summer, your sessions and your lagers, and it, it kind of it bounces yeah. in between them. And then sours as well. Sours have become a big thing uh, during the sound Ireland. Uh, last year, it's gone. Uh, breweries that never have done a sour have all attempted, you know, some some very, very good results and some not so good. So it's, uh, you know, it's it's constantly evolving. But uh, I, yeah, I am a bit of a fiend for the higher ABV. And, and I personally, I like it too. And unfortunately, I can't always brew what, what I like. <laughs> uh, because we, we, for example, our iridescent IPA, which is our permanent IPA, when we designed it originally, we were at 7.2 ABV. And yeah, uh, no, actually, this one was is, is the Spectrum. Um, oh. it's, it's a seasonal. Um, our, our iridescent IPA, um, when we came out at 7.2, the market told us, it's great. Can you make it in the six? And we're like, well, yeah, we can make it in the six. But why? Like 6.9, which is where we are now, instead of 7.2, what's the difference for you? But there is a perception for the market that we are in. And granted, the French market is not the same throughout France because in, in, in the northern part of France, they don't drink anything that's less than eight. Or we have had some brewers that came and visited us and were like, where are your beer? Like, that, that's for kids. I was like, well, that's what we got to brew. Um, but the rest of, of the market for the uh, uh, Loire Valley, where, where we are, they, it needs to start with a five. Five, five is the number. Five, between 5.0 and 5.9, that's where they feel comfortable drinking because they are very concerned about uh, driving, and I guess they are very, very cautious with that. And, and we see it at the brew pub too. People sometimes, the first question asked is, which, what, what's the lightest beer? And, and they make a decision based on the ABV. And I'm very puzzled by that, but, but that's the truth of our market. So that's what we got to deal with. Yeah, well, I think it makes sense, especially, like you said, if you're driving. Like, you know. Yeah. But even here, I mean, you know, sometimes sit down and you just, you, you fancy a beer in the middle of the week, but you don't want 10%. Like you want <laughs> the next morning, you want one or two, yeah. and make it last the yeah. night and get up yeah. and with a beer and, so. and um, it was uh, actually, we were talking about that with, with Katie, uh, my, the co-owner of the brewery and, and my wife. Uh, she was like, also, it's kind of, and maybe that's the American side that's talking more. I would rather sell two 6% ABV beer than one ten. And I was like, yeah, that's a, that's a good business model too. <laughs> I actually thought it would have been the other way around that they would have wanted more alcohol just from wine, you know. Yes. That, that's yeah. where I would have thought it would have come down from that. Yeah. It would have been closer to wine. But yeah. I guess, yeah, so, um, yeah, go on. No, no, I was saying you rarely drink a pint of wine. Though. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> oh, I don't know how rare some people are. But <laughs> yeah. This is very yeah, nice, yeah. by the way. Cheers. Yeah, yeah, it's dangerous. Um, on this particular batch, actually, we dropped to 7% um, mistake. It's normally 8 and it, there's not much, surprisingly, there wasn't much of a difference between percent. I find it very hard to believe that they both tasted the same uh, uh, decrease, but um, it's hard to pick out the alcohol. And how did you do um, sales-wise, was it? Was it? So it actually became, the red became probably the second best seller 
until the Belgian blonde came out, but uh, it's still it's still good contender, you know. Um, like the the stout, it's a little bit seasonal. It's like I find that I, I I sell most of it kind of I suppose the winter months. You know, I do sell a bit during during the year, but I can sell two three batches. You know, in in, in you know October November, um, nice. and then only sell maybe one batch then during the rest of the year. You know, so it's. It's just one of those kind of beers that like it keeps his head above water, um, and of course, it, I'm a big fan of it as well. So I have to stop drinking all my profits. <laughs> yeah, how do you figure out core ranges? Are like, do each of you have a core range, and then just brew seasonally, or like specials, or do you just brew kind of you know brew like you said, like seasonally? Your reds will just only come out in thing, or your stouts will only come out there. They're not really core. So I've kept you- mine. Yeah. I'm keeping the core of the. I think all the beers you guys would have received minus one. It was a pale ale that just wasn't in stock. Send it to you guys. So that will be my core going forward. Um, with likes of the the Belgian Blondes, the pale ale, and the IPA kind of being the biggest sellers throughout the whole year. With the red, the stouts, and the porter kind of you know always ticking away in the background and and and, and picking up then in the winter months. Um, and then we're only starting to do seasonals now. Because we, where we were based and where we were, where we were kind of the point in our in our business at that stage when COVID hit kind of gave a bit of a kick in the lead. So I didn't get to, I suppose, experiment more than we should have and it slowed things down. So the rest of the core range wasn't ready. So now it's out. It's doing well. and The seasonals now will start. So I think we're a little bit behind probably than you guys. And both of you, like Robin and Matt, you have a core range as well, is it? And then just brew. Uh, no, not really. Um, we uh, possibly we've possibly found our first core, uh, like a pale ale, like a modern pale ale, um, and that's possible. Uh, it's just because yeah, a little bit like the the model for Fredo Fox that we, we thought about was just um, responding to the, the kind of the market that says great, really enjoyed that. What's next? What's new? And so we spent the first twelve months just brewing a different beer every time. Obviously, like I, like I mentioned earlier, on, plowing through furrows and so not not reinventing the wheel every time you brew. But um, yeah, we were doing five point five, six point five, eight point five. Um, new hazies essentially. I mean, we put New England on there, but um, hazy IPAs, double hazy IPAs, and uh, so yeah, I think we as part of like you know we're one year old. And maybe also partly reading the market a little bit and responding to requests from our local sales guy, Barcelona, and some parts of Spain. Um, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, on restaurants and so on, and eateries that want maybe something a little bit more stable. So uh, we're starting to look at maybe our first core beer and maybe another one behind that, um, a pale ale and maybe an IPA. But yeah, that's that's kind of happening right now, really. Been evaluated right now you know we're only we're only a year old right yeah so yeah so like obviously COVID hit yourself and well hit all of you because you're all pretty pretty much in the year to two year range so it just hit in the, the middle of things i suppose it threw, threw any plans out really yeah it's pretty dynamic right now <laughs> yeah in, in in our side too we have uh, actually f- uh, four and two half um permanent beer um we have um four beer that are constant that are all, always brewed and and this is more of a demand for bar and restaurants that they don't have to re-educate their ongoing customers um and then we have two half permanent we have a, a amber beer and a, and a white 
uh, wheat beer and hoppy, let's say white IPA, truly. Uh, these two beer are seasonal. They are only brewed for six months out of the year. And they, um, just because the, the, the weather and the, the people are just more in the mood during the summer to drink wheat beer and during the autumn and spring to still drink some, uh, some amber beer. And we, that's why we have an American amber ale. Um, but these um, five permanent beer total um, is not so much a willingness for us to continue to brew the same cream ale all the time, but we have established and very good customers of ours that cannot change their menu as fast as we would like to brew beer. Uh, we are very fortunate to have a few very highly regarded customers, including some amazing castle in the Loire Valley. And these people just want cons consistency. They want to have the same uh, defect-free, no off-flavor quality beer that they can keep on providing to their mass market customer. So, so we, we have been brewing, like I would say, 80% of our production are the same beer all the time. Yeah, that's, uh, again, I, I suppose that, that goes going down to the market because we've had brewers on here like Arthas from um, Latvia and they're, they're 80%, actually no, they're more like 90% export and basically yeah. they, brew, they, they never brew twice because their beer market is just, no, we just want a different beer, a new beer. Yeah. And, and, and I, I fully connect with that. I, I myself, when I was going to the U.S., I mean, when I was living in the U.S., the, the, the beer scene is so wide that a brewery has to never brew twice the same beer or they lose that single customer. And, and when I was in Los Angeles or in the south of L.A., we, we could every week go to the same brew pub and never drink the same beer twice. And, and that's how they can keep customers like me back then interested in going back week after week after week just because you are blown away every single time and i wish we would be in that environment but, but we, we are yeah, not all right but, but i suppose yeah i mean i can see where you're might you know you don't want to do the same thing it kind of just becomes a chore but yeah and there's something about being able to kind of perfect a certain beer yes <laughs> yes you know, that's i mean take any you know, take any year beers there, like if you're able to just kind of tweak it and tweak the next batch and tweak the next mm -hmm. batch from any, any of the three of you, do you think that you kind of, you know, you're, you will always make it better or do you think there's beers you do and know that that's perfect? Oh, I, I don't know. Uh, perfection is, is quite in the uh, beer holder uh, mind, but um, I think we, we improve over time. Um, but I think we got to a point now where one lot of one beer and another lot of the same beer for for 99% of the people is going to be quite the same. Even if we lose half a degree in the machine process or if the hop is two months older than the last time, you won't, you won't make that much of a difference. Once you have your quality process checked, when you have all your brewing process in line, when you, I don't know, calibrate your meal every single time or when you have the right things done at the right time, I, th I think after a bit, you can be quite consistent. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm just thinking kind of the corollary of it, I suppose. It's like, yeah, you get, it's something I've been thinking about, you know, where say in the past, the beer was, the brand was the brewery. So you had Guinness, one beer, yes, brewery, one thing. You had Carlsberg, one beer, the brewery was named after Heineken and all of that. Whereas now it's, it really is the brewery 
and people look for the brewery and you you can if you've got your brand built and you've kind of got your reputation i guess you can you can brew whatever you want and someone will give it a try is that um, yeah. yeah i mean i've had the experience of uh of age as well as uh Fred fox with Fred fox the idea is that Fred fox comes first before obviously we have <laughs> we brewed one beer twice uh, and that's just very 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 recently uh so the idea with Fred Fox is you'll see Fred Fox on the board and they'll hopefully and they'll say right yeah I, I trust that to be decent and that's what we're aiming for I, I trust that to be decent I'll, I'll you know part with my seven seven euros yeah. <laughs> kind of thing and uh and uh and enjoy it hopefully down to the bottom of the glass would be even better and uh, repeat but with Edge um I had some experience of yeah, brewing core beers and maybe yeah, the, the IPA, which was brewed for pretty much from 2014 to, to the end of uh, 2020. Well, no, oh, sorry, COVID, what about that? Um, was brewed pretty much non-stop throughout the project. That was a pretty strong name. I mean, Hoptimista was obviously a, a pretty good name for its time as well. Um, and it covered the kind of all the languages, English, Spanish, Catalan. So in terms of consistency, uh, one of the challenges um, sometimes is if you haven't got everything uh, contracted is that you're sometimes not able to be 100% of your, with your ingredients if you haven't contracted the, the hops from here to the end of, and then obviously you've got different harvest years and then maybe it's generation three yeast or first generation. And, and so there are a lot of variables that play challenge, I think, a craft brewery to be super consistent. Having said that, I mean, the, the Blundale we did, and yeah, and the Mister, yeah, and the Session IPA, they were, they were pretty consistent. But when it, when it came to brewing this pale ale we recently just talked about, I was actually quite nervous after after this past year of brewing a different, been kind of let off the hook, really, to some extent, because every beer's got a new name, it's got a different brewer. You kind of let off the hook of, of, of consistency in terms of like it got to taste like the last time it was brewed. Um, so I was really nervous because actually the first brew really kind of, especially for the small um, grams per liter, so dry hopping rate. I was like, yeah, can we can we do this again? You know, like and and uh, it's more or less there. But yeah, the uh, twenty twenty one hops have come on, and and that would account for a slight difference in flavor the second time we brewed it. Also, went from a double batch to a single batch. The double batch was brewed because we had a buyer, and then and then it's gone down well in the local market, which is important, but doesn't necessarily justify brewing a double batch. So we slotted in a single batch, and that can change the dynamics of the fermentation and so on. So, yeah, consistency is something that I think the the mass brews, the laboratories, and everything contracted better, even if it can be a little bit boring. Would you not then? Like, do what some of the brewers, especially more like the Lambic and the, the Barrel Age, you know, have it a year and make make a point or make a, a virtue out of the difference. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's, that's 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 what we were doing to begin with. We we're like, okay, the market wants, or certain sector of the market wants constant change and something new all the time. Well, here it is. You know, this is what this is what we're doing. Um, like I say, a little bit let off the hook of, of like having to. Have this batch taste like the last batch. Yeah, because yeah, that, that seems like something I don't know, but like you know, vintages of wine and that you know, they'd be used to it in France. That you could, you know, you, you want your customers who want the consistency, but you could market it as 
vintage 2021 or 2022 and we might accept that. <laughs> yes, that's a definitely uh, something that even we see because when we opened the brew pub, we did not have any wine. We, we only had beer. Because shit, we are brewery, right? And then pushed by the local demand, we started doing wine. And people were more... People were criticizing more the wine that we had than the beer that we had. And they were like, oh, this bottle doesn't taste like the same of the previous bottle. And I was like, man, look, they are the exact same label, exact same vineyard, exact same years. Oh, yeah, but I get more cock on this one. And I was like, then drink beer. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you come to a brewery and, and you will not even recognize a parallel from an IPA. And that's fine. That's fine. But you tell me that one of my wine is cocked, just drink, just drink beer. And so having held the brew pub at, at, at first for, for the first year, I mean, on and off because of COVID, was quite interesting to, to really understand the, the customer, um, uh, I guess, perception of, of, of the beer and, and the consistency of the beer. Because uh, back in 2019, when we were bringing our, our chromatic back to back, we had to get the equipment really... Um, under control and, and different machine temperature sometimes was not as smooth as it is currently after a couple of years of experience. And, and I definitely thought that people would realize that our people, our market, again, it's different, I'm sure, in Dublin or, or in Barcelona, but in, in Amboise, France, the, the people could not really identify the uh, consistency in the beer. But as we are growing now, we for ourselves and for the customers that are outside of our direct brew pub, want to bring that consistency. But you're right, to, to answer your question, sorry, I, I took a long way to answer the question. Um, the uh, European, or the, 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 sorry, the, the French market would definitely realize that there is variations between one bottle to another, even if it's the same lot, because it might not age the same, because it might not be kept the same, because the chain call might not be respected the same. It might be aged in a cave or not in a cave or more sun. So that's where actually we, we are thankful to be in the environment that we are in. It's because the French market can be very forgiving and very understandable. I mean, look at the French people. We can eat one cheese every day throughout the year without eating the same one twice. Mm -hmm. And yet that's the people that see the beer in color. They will tell you, I want a blonde beer, but they will never eat the same cheese throughout the year. So they can be educated. They can be very gastronomic when they want to be. But we just need to, to up the game of beer for them to catch up. Yeah, I think that's similar in Spain, in Spain or at least in Barcelona. And, you know, with the food culture, uh, it can be a little bit frustrating. You've got this tremendous appreciation for food. And, uh, and yet, what craft beer or cerveza artesanas has been trying to do for a long time now is to is to you know, educate people that there's more than one kind of beer out there and there's more than one way of enjoying beer you know it's the still dominant way of, the dominant way of drinking beer in spain the canyon no? and it's, it's got to be blonde and busy and so, uh contrary to that yeah you've got this you know rich rich gastronomic culture and so Possibly it's why there's been um, there's been an acceptance of or an interest in uh, in sour beers um, amongst amongst foodies and curious curious and drinkers in the area. Um, so it's happened kind of quicker than maybe it should have done if we were supposed to be on the American uh, craft 
craft beer path. Uh, we had uh, American visitors over the years who said, well, in five years, you'll get into sales. Well, no, uh, 18 months later or, or six months later, you know, uh, yeah. it was more compressed you know, yeah. as the diversity was offered. And Phil, that, how do you think that works? Because, I mean, I mean, not to shoot anybody down, but I'd say like Ireland doesn't have the same gastronomical reputation as France. No, but no, no, no. but like there are, we're selling into restaurants as well, though. So is there that acceptance? Like that, that was your first market, I think that was. Yeah, yeah. So the first market was a combination of bars, restaurants, hotels. It was it was a chain um, of I think they had like forty five places. I was actually quite lucky. That's kind of where my start came from, and that's why the glass bottle was a big deal because we're like no we don't we want glass on the table not can um the, so, yeah the the food side of things in Ireland are you know it's becoming a bit more acceptable to go out and do you know to have your beer with your meal rather than wine but what i'm finding funny now at the moment is uh you probably have the same thing um with you guys with the app um untapped do you guys i don't know you guys use it or not but it's become a, a quite popular app here in ireland but i'm finding a lot of people that you are either getting into craft beer have decided to go for extremely hoppy or extremely strong abv or extremely sour and then like rate it really poorly and say oh uh i'm giving it one star because i don't like sours <laughs> <laughs> yes. sour you know and, yeah. and then you read the beer label you know that's posted and it clearly yeah. has you know, a massive yeah print of yeah. sour you know yeah we, we we had one of these we did a, a berlin of ice that had pineapple so clearly it's a sour beer right and somebody says i don't like sour this is too sour i was like what well, if you don't like sour just don't buy that beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's, uh, that's that's a bit of a culture we have here at the moment as well where they're all for getting you know to get the app they start going to craft beer bars they're enjoying but they they, they came from a very I suppose macro background. They love their their Guinness. They love their Heinings. They love their Budweisers and so on. And they've kind of dived in, maybe a bit too deep, kind of a bit, a bit too bold to be picking up such a beer and then stating, like, like posting, like, I don't like stouts. You just bought a stout. So yeah, that's kind of we're tackling that, I suppose, here at the moment, which is kind of it's fun. It's a great. I, I log in quite often just to read some of the reviews from not only my own brewery but from many others in the city, and it's a. Uh, it's kind of a laughing point now where everyone everyone at some stage gets a review where it's like, I don't like this style of beer. Well, yeah. Yeah, uh, we, we got a 0 0.5 star recently for a beer reviewed last week, which expired a year ago. And granted, beer don't really expire, <laughs> but when, when you taste uh, uh, hoppy beer past six months, it's really the limit that you shouldn't be drinking it. And people say even like three to four months. So let alone when we have a one-year uh, best-by date and they drink it a year after that, I'm like, come on, people, just like, it's difficult. Yeah, but people no one's reading the label. Yeah, Clearly. yes, yeah, you know, exactly. Picking it up and going, that's yeah. new, I'll take it. Yeah. Check, sorry. Like, how do you manage, I mean, that, that must be the killer, like you're producing the spirit that when it comes out, you know is excellent. Then yeah. you lose all control over the distributor, where they yeah. keep it, who whether the drinker keeps it properly, whether they drink it too cold, too hot, like yeah. you have no control over the final, yeah. the final product. Yeah, I think that's something that uh, myself is going to try is give it because there is a brewery in Ireland that does it. And they do it very well. Um, hope and, uh, they do a lovely label. They have, you know, it's a, a hand, but it, it's pointing towards the, you know, the bitterness, the style of food that goes with it. You know the date so, so it gives you like the four or five key things you should know about the beer before you consume it 
and naturally like the date is quite prominent can see it very easily the moment you, you read the bottle and i think that's something i'm going to move into to redesign slightly part of the label and have that aspect of a kind of a guide down the mm. side and the same thing as well please consume after you know a certain amount of time but i suppose the only other way around would be to have a stock list of, of your suppliers that are you know that are buying from you yeah touch base with them you know quite regularly and see what sales like I'm, I'm doing currently with two suppliers that things are going a little slower than i'd like and i'm willing to you know if things don't work out i'm willing to kind of go in remove the stock and get fresh and try a, you know a, a better campaign to help both their sales and my sales huh. but you know it's, it's i suppose it's trying to find time to do that for a hundred different customers would be you know would be difficult so i think you know a bit more awareness on labeling as well you know what's what what the beer is about and on the sell by date like as you said you know ipa you know it's best drank within three to six months yeah you know i've seen that on some some people they just have like do not age drink fresh and it, yes. yeah. yeah yeah this is like not it, a collectible just drink it man yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep the label if you want but don't keep the beer yeah. <laughs> six months yeah but um yeah, so sorry, just to come around there to that. So if you're like, if that's you were saying, like people coming from, say, drinking Heineken and they're going to jump straight into the, you know, a 10 percent high, you know, triple IPA or something. Um, so that's thing. none of you had actually kind of laggers in your in your range, do you? That would seem to be like, you know, uh, the blonde is probably the closest. But... Yeah, I dropped my lager for the time being uh, as uh, it, 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 it sold well, but it sold well in the bars and restaurants. And then with COVID um, and, and kind of losing a couple of clients due to that, with places closing, um, I just took a step back with it because it wasn't a strong, uh, in Ireland, it's not a very strong contender unless you are Heineken or, you know, the big guys um, who have been doing it much longer. So I deliberately, yeah, I let mine um, drop off for the next while. I'm going to revisit it now, probably maybe in the summer. All right. How about you? Uh, uh, an ex-colleague of mine is Edge. Uh, we're the delicious uh, Pilsner. Um, and uh, the craft beer bars, apart from one, weren't prepared to pay the price for it as a craft pilsen. Okay. Um, so that was three, yeah. three, three to four years ago. Uh, we currently don't have any plans to brew a pilsen. The nearest thing we did was a small, very small batch of Colch, um, 350 litres of it. The nearest thing we've got to it was Fredo Fox, and that went into cakes only for for kind of our own enjoyment with uh, friendly bars and little events and things like no, that. I, yeah, we had uh, Baskland were on a few weeks ago and he was saying that that's what, you know, that they're into, you know, again, trying to pair food with beer. But he said like, as the brewers, if they weren't brewing lager, he'd lose all his brewers because that's all they'll drink. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and on, on our side, we, we agree with, with Robin. What we sense is we cannot brew a lager and expect our customer to pay the price of a, a craft beer. Yeah. They would associate Lager with Heineken and Cronenberg here and, and all that. So we still needed a beer that was a, a bridge to the more traditional craft beer for, for the rest of us. So we decided to go with an hybrid beer and we thought about the culture, the way uh, Robin said it, but we settled on a cream ale. And the cream ale is the beer to this date. And last night again at the brew pub, is the most sold and, and it's surprising it's nothing against our cream ale but i drank half a pint after i load them on after i mowed the lawn but i could not drink more than that i need something with more body and more character um 
but the cream ale is very, very important in our product strategy. And with this being said, um, we have only recently started a lager series, but again, we cannot do a traditional pills. And I think the one I sent you guys were the smoky lager. So it's a smoked LS yeah. uh, finishing at 2.2 uh, plateau. So a little bit sweeter and rounder than a traditional pills. The second one that we are bottling on Monday is a hoppy pills. It's a single hop cherry with laurel. So very peppery and, and, and citrusy. And the final one of the series will be a, a cold IPA, which is definitely on the rise in the US. And we want to give it a, a, a shot with an um, experimental hop named Vista coming from uh, Washington State. And that's going to be uh, a 7 ABV with 30% of the grain, of the bill grain with, uh, with rice uh, flake to really minimize the body of the beer. We are going to lager it for six weeks in our bright tank and dry hop the shit out of it to get a ton of aroma and length. And that's the only way we believe that we can bring a lager to our market and justify the price point that we're going to ask our customers. You have to, yeah, you have to differentiate that. It is yes. different, yes. even, if it, even if you're trying to bring it some bit towards it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah I suppose. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, in Ireland, it's probably a bit different, Ophel, because they've now brought in minimum pricing on beers and stuff. And yeah, stuff. yeah it's, it's crazy. I went to the off-license for the first time. I only get back from holidays, so I, I, I wasn't here for the, the changeover originally. Uh, and where, where I was in holidays, like beer was for nothing. So when I got back, I went to the local off-license and I tried to get a bottle of wine, uh, a bottle of whiskey, because I had family coming over for and there was like a seven euro increase on, 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 on the wine and there was like a four and a half uh, euro increase on, on the, the whiskey. And I was just like, I just thought maybe the, the shop itself had increased and it, it took me a moment to kind of recoup and go, okay, we've decided that, you know, depending on the the, the spirit of the, the wine, a certain amount has increased. So for a person that was drinking uh, cheap white or red wine or was getting like a, an eight pack of beer, has now had to pay a slightly more premium price you know so it's no longer affordable um for the lower lower end of the beers the craft beer doesn't seem to have made much of a difference i've actually seen a few places decrease the prices because they were always a little bit above um the heinegans budweiser's and all the guinness you know so i think it's going to actually have a positive um repercussion on the craft beer scene but um, the the deals like the eight packs the 10 packs the 12 packs the wine and the spirits are going to suffer. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, the, the the price of drink in Ireland is a, is a lot more than France or or Spain. Yeah. That, that but it's, uh, I think it's a little bit of greed, if, if I was to be honest. You know, um, I, I come from a bar uh, background as well, so I know I do understand there's a lot of hidden costs. So, but the, it's the percentage that the the person that is running the business that they want really determines, you know, what they're going to charge. We have we have a, an area in Ireland which is called Temple Bar. You, you may or may not have been to it before. Yeah. And they charge like almost two euro extra per pint on the exact same beer you can get within a five minute distance away. And there's no justification for it. It's only because it's a tourist spot, you know. So the fact that they're able to decrease their pints to a reasonable price on you know the suburbs and so on, and but in the more busier spots they're charging uh, crazy crazy prices. You know, seven seven fifty for behind is yeah. just. Whereas, fair enough, craft. I understand you might get a three thirty mil, seven and a half eight percent IPA or hazy. You know, but 
you know, there's a lot more on empty, there's a lot more, you know, flavor, a lot more hops, a lot more uh, yeast grain, so on. So the beer itself is working more. Uh, the macros are just supposed to just pump into profits. Just something occurred to me there. So, I mean, you mentioned, Matt, that, you know, you sell it off, you have a, a large tourist kind of attraction there, but um, it's the same. I mean, obviously, Barcelona is huge tourists, and Dublin is pretty high tourists as well. Do you, the, do you try and split out to, to get the tourists, or do you think you're selling more to tourists than the locals? Or how do you so, do yeah. so, so, so we have a seasonal uh, effect, absolutely. Um, we are working very, very hard to lock down the local. But the local, we live in a city of 12,000 12, inhabitants. So the middle of the winter is quite difficult in comparison of the summer. The only way, the only reason why we um, can really pass the winter the way we do is because the, the, the city is so small that all the other bars in town are closing for two months. So you got to love the French for that, right? Only them can shut down their business for two months out of the year. So the American culture says, you know what? Not only we're going to be open, but we're going to be open six days a week. So we get known by all the people who really want to come out, not by choice, but because that's the only way they can go have a beer or go have a drink. So we get known and we try to really get the brew pub very, very dynamic. We do some trivia night, some lotto night, we do karaoke night. We really try to make the local feel good. But we are within 100 meters of the exit door of the royal castle of the city. And that drains roughly a million tourists a year. So we are within 100 meters of the a million tourists. And out of that, most of them are American, German, Dutch, coming from Belgium, coming from Spain, coming from a lot of beer culture. And fortunately, the people coming from a beer culture have the reflex to Google simply and research beer place. So um, the first year in 2019, from opening until 6.30, 7 o'clock, we were speaking exclusively English at the brew pub. And, and that was great because all the French people arrived somewhat around 7 o'clock. And so we really had two shifts. All international tourists who tend to eat a little bit sooner than the French people. And then we had all the French people coming out and then the people who finished dinner coming back. And it was, it was a great year. But we actually didn't know because that was our first year open. So, so we hope <laughs> that uh, this summer is going to be back the way 2019 was. Um, but we, we do indeed, again, to answer the question, try to target the local during the, the winter so that they are a year-round customer because we need them in the winter. And during the, um, during the touristic season, which is really from mid-June to mid-September, we try to be very present on TripAdvisor, Google, and a lot of uh, tourist website or app to, to, to bring these people to the brew pub. Well, what you're, you're doing as well, I know you don't have a pub as such, either Vigil or, or Robin, but are you, are you trying to do something or do you just brew what you think is good and not know who, who gets it? Um, Go, Phil. You want to go first? Yeah, you go ahead. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I, I've just come from a pub background, and I'm going to give it a bit of a break for a while. To be, um, it was a lot. Of, it was, I suppose, like 10 and a half, 11 years with one particular company. It was intense nightclub bars and restaurants. So I do, I do respect people that have bars and, and brew pubs. It's a lot of work. Um, I would love to look at it down the line as a, a new part of the business. But for the time being, um, no, I'm going to continue brewing. Um, and I suppose Ireland is is evolving now as it's opening back up after COVID. And I, I, I do see a couple of new bars that are opening that are going to try alternative concepts. And there's two that I'm, I'm currently watching that are pretty cool um, that I, I, I like. I'd love to see do well i suppose if they do well you know it might you know might inspire me a bit more to um, take the leap and create and create the the perfect as well craft beer brew pub bar scenario um but would that be sourced targeted or would you just hope would you be aiming local a little bit of both you know I, I like the, the idea that matt has you know with the I, I do love a good local, you know, a good local bar where you almost celebrate the person's birthday because you know them by the first name, you know, they might have their family event with you, you know, birthday of the mother or the father or so on, or the kids. And it's kind of like, it's a very community, you know, it's, an, it's a lovely feeling to be involved and to know people that way. And that's the kind of business I'd love to have. It's just, I suppose for me now, it's just finding the, the best location because Dublin City, uh, you know, it, it, it's a busy spot. There's a lot to contend with, you know. Uh, if you don't do it right from the beginning, you know, you kind of leave yourself open for failure. So, the yeah, it's finding the right place at the right time for now is the is is my uh, goal really. But uh, sorry to, to, to go back to the tourist side of things. Um, definitely would love to have a mix of both worlds, you know. Um, tourists by all means are it's a great source of revenue, but I do love the the local culture a bit. Right, I suppose I'd, I'd side a bit more. We're having a kind of more of a local vibe. Yeah, the uh, not only source of revenue, but ju just so you know, the, the French market is so behind again on, on the beer scene that our banker eventually told us that the only reason why they follow us to um, invest in the um, in the brewery was because of the margin that the brew pub was going to create. Today, if we exclude most of the um, sales that we do with our distributor we would be financially stable exclusively with the brew pub sales because of the margin. And, th and that was very interesting to, to hear that uh, out of nine banks, only one follow us and we had 50% of, of the investment made with personal funds. And we, we, we were very mesmerized that the banker in France would tell us the only reason why we follow you is because of the potential sales at very high margin. And I was like, man, that's unbelievable. So, mm. yeah, so don't set up just a brewery. Yeah, no. I'm in trouble. Exactly. Yeah. Listen, guys, I haven't had you for quite a while now. Um, so, I'm going to let you go in a minute. I'm just going to ask you one question that I've been interested in asking people. So, you've all had, I mean, what you've sent over, and there's a lot of IPAs, a lot of stouts, and actually some very, very good stouts, I have to say. I, I didn't mention them there, um, ranging from, you know, from kind of, kind of a dry, well, what was yours, Matt? Um, it was kind of a, a dry stout. Yeah, it, it's more of an export stout, but we can't see it on the bottle because people wouldn't know. Yeah. But but what we are shooting for is an export stout. It's it's drier with coffee notes, yeah. no flavoring up, just just dryness, dry out a little bit the palate and make you want to just sip yeah. again. Yeah, whereas it moved through then, like, I mean, look at the three, there was kind of like a range. There was yours at one yes. end, there was... 
Phil George was kind of in the center with the, and then there was the, the big pastry stout at the other end. <laughs> it was a, I tried them all on the one night and I started on what I thought was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did you, how did you function after all three? I don't know. <laughs> I tried, I, I suffer from, for everybody. But, um, but um, yeah, no, but it was interesting. But um, anyway, sorry, bringing that back around. You've like, so you've all had a stout, you've all doing IPAs and that. Um, is there any sort I mean, you, you've kind of hinted at this, like you want to brew something that you'd like to brew, but sometimes your market doesn't allow you. Is there anything that you haven't brewed yet, any style that you really want to brew with either circumstances or the market just haven't let you, but, you know, you just don't think you can sell it or or you don't have the, the facilities at the moment. Is there anything that you really want to brew, any style? Uh, for me? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, Italian appeals I'd love to, I love the, the, for the, uh, the sales, the sales to say, yeah, go, go ahead. We, we can, I think we can do a pills and an L. You know, I went back, I went back to that story where they didn't quite work out. Not because yeah. the quality of the beer, but because the market would be prepared to buy the price. Whether things have changed now or whether Fred Fox brand permits it to do, uh, yeah, to do a pills and a particularly either, either an Italian or a hobby pills and I guess maybe even with uh, some New Zealand hops. Uh, that would be my something I, what's your aim um kind of I, I actually have to put together a proposal for the next round of beers that we brew so i'm going to stick it on there and <laughs> see what reception it gets <laughs> if not try again later <laughs> how about you phil anything you're reading suppose I'm, I'm, i'd love to do a lambic you know um i'm going to take my time on that one first i have a few trials to do at home right yeah, no, I've, I've had some very, very nice lambics in the last year or two, and it's just, it's kind of, it's inspired me to give it a go, but in Ireland, it's, it's not, uh, it is popular, but it's not popular in a financial, like, people will enjoy it, and it'll go down well, but to do a, a batch, then sit on it, like, by all means, sit on it, but I suppose I would like to see it move, um, and I, I, yeah, I don't know, I'm a bit, I'm a bit weary about it, I suppose, <laughs> well, yeah. I'll take the leap at some stage. There's a brewery in the States, I think it's called Side Project. Yeah. yeah. Almost like you're talking about it as a, as a side project. Yeah. And, like uh, it's a trial and error. Like I could do something small and release it, but I, I, I think Lambic drinkers would be very critical. Uh, the same like Belgian drinkers would be, you know. Um, I want to be very careful not to, I suppose, uh, tick them off a little bit and, <laughs> and not come out with a beer that, that I would stand over, you know. But uh, I, have a few, I have a few tests to come up in the next couple of weeks. Right, uh, very exciting. Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. I, I hit it on the head. Yeah, they seem to be getting, but I don't know, maybe it's not mass market, like you said, but there is definitely bigger interest in kind of lambic and wilder sort of beers, I think. I couldn't stand lambics. Uh, if you give me a lambic three years ago, I would, I, I'd be almost asking you what's wrong with it. Uh, <laughs> You'd be on untapped complaining. Yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't like lambic and then, you know, bought it. But yeah, it was kind of one of those beers that I suppose grew on me, and it was the same, like the same as well with like I suppose like French cheese. There was cheeses I couldn't stomach. Now I devour them. So I suppose my palate, like everyone else, is that, that adapts. Um, and like everything else, I suppose you know you try it once, try it twice, hopefully three times is a charm. Um, but yeah, no, I'm hooked now at this stage. But how about you, Matt? Anything you're Actually, the the one that they are dying to brew is a goes, a fruited goes, and, and you talked about the one from Robin earlier, and that was like I I 
when I opened the can and Katie turned around and she smelled the raspberries and, and the fruit coming out of it, I knew that she was going to give me a hard time because ever since we opened, she asked me, brew me a gauze, brew me a gauze. And I was like, yeah, 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 we will, we will. But again, the market that we live in and the, the reach that we have currently is not allowing us to make one and sell it fast enough. And, and, uh, and I think we are there now. I think we can around May, April, May, June timeframe, brew one for the, uh, for the summer month. But, but that's what I'm looking forward to be brewing soon. And, and actually, uh, the Fruit of Fox that sample that we had was, was really uh, interesting. It was very, very uh, eye-opening in terms of, of the ABV and the, the flavor profile and the saltiness and, and just the balance throughout. So... So thanks, Robin, for putting me in trouble back home. But, but <laughs> thank you for the uh, market research. All right, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen, guys, I'm going to let you go. I've held you for geez, an hour and a half now, so I think it's about time you, you got a break. Um,